Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Ray and at the moment here on the south coast of the UK, well the whole UK I think, what are they calling it? A severe heat warning. Uh, I think it's reached about 30 degrees. I read on Twitter the other day someone was saying from Australia the hottest day he remembers is 50 degrees. 50? I think I'd pass out. Under our patio roof we've had 45 but of course that's that's just under the roof there at the back of the house, so it's easy to escape. It's great for the tomato plants, of course, they love it. It's like a greenhouse, it's only a roof, all the front is open, but it really is a sun trap. You know, the back of the house faces south, so it really is a sun trap. It's too hot sometimes to sit under there, but of course the tomato plants absolutely love it. The tomato plants might like the heat, but a lot of elderly people don't. They can't cope with it. So if you are getting on in years, then it's best to keep as cool as you can. The thing is, I've just heard the weather forecast. Apparently this weekend, you'll be listening to this on what, Sunday? This weekend, there's going to be rain and <laughs> thunder and lightning and storms all over the place. So is that the end of the summer? I don't know. But at least this weekend, if you can't stand the heat, it should cool down a little bit. I don't believe it. Can you hear that? It's the dustman. The dustman, this is uncanny. How come they turn up every time I start, I start to record a podcast? Listen to it. Oh, no bottles as yet. Where are the beer and wine bottles? Hang on a sec. There were plenty of beer and wine bottles. They're still going up the street. But uh, it was all too loud for the recording, the smashing of bottles everywhere. <laughs> oh dear, it's quite funny. I don't know. Potholes. Shall I moan about potholes? No, I won't. What's this episode all about, you're wondering? I'm wondering the same thing. Initially, I was going to talk about collecting things, which was an idea of uh, Ray emailed me. Hello, Ray. Collecting things. And then I thought I'd move on to moaning and groaning. Because do you remember, I think I mentioned in last week's uh, midweek message, moaning and groaning, that episode, which is over a year, I think it was March last year, I did the moaning and groaning episode and that has turned out to be the most listened to out of all the episodes, well over a hundred episodes over a few years, that is the most listened to. And I'm wondering why? Why do people <laughs> like to hear me moaning and groaning? So perhaps I ought to call this one ranting and raving. So what I will do is we'll, we'll talk about collecting things because people started collecting things when they were at school, didn't they? People had scrapbooks, you know, some of the kids had scrapbooks where they'd cut out bits from comics and newspapers, they'd collect this and that. One thing at school was collecting stamps. Now, I remember for a birthday, I don't know how old I was, eight eight years old, we'll say, I got this stamp collecting book and a pile of stamps and you stick them under the various countries and stuff and I could never, ever see the point. I used to go over to the sweet shop where they sold stamps in these sort of envelope things, clear plastic envelopes. Well, they were like greaseproof paper, weren't they, the envelopes? And you get home, you tip them out, and there's these rubbishy stamps there. I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. The only thing I've ever really collected, I suppose, is radio equipment, uh, radio transmitters, old ones, as well as new ones, communications receivers, domestic valve radios from the 40s, the 50s, uh, even some from the 30s. The trouble is with collecting things is what do you do with it? Where do you put it? Unless you've got a big house, 
if we had a spare room, a big spare room, I would put all my radio collection in there. I'd have shelves and fit it all out, perhaps as a 1940s room to suit the 1940s radio. Make it like a, a museum, it would be great. But we don't have a spare room, or not one big enough anyway. So what have I done with... <laughs> What have I done with the radios? I've sold them. I've kept about three, I think two or three really nice ones that I would never sell. So we've really been clearing out the loft because a lot of the radios were up in the loft. What is the point of having a collection of anything if it's hidden away in the loft and you don't even know it's there? You forget what you've got. You can't see it. You can't show anyone. So why have it? You might as well get rid of it, give it to someone or sell it to someone who would appreciate it and be able to perhaps show it somewhere. Do you have a loft, an attic? Why is it that people's lofts are jammed full? The majority of people, their lofts, if you mention, oh, we're clearing out the loft, they all say the same thing. Oh, we've got to do that. Oh, the stuff up in the loft. Oh, it's a nightmare. And it's true. And same with garages. Just about everyone I know with a garage, they don't keep the car in there. They can't. <laughs> they can't. It's full of bikes, this and that, old beds, bits of furniture, junk, decorating stuff, half a million tins of paint that dried up 10 years ago, all in the garage. Just, you can't get the car in there. And I do know one chap, his garage is completely empty. He doesn't put the car in there. Why? Because he can't be bothered. He said, I can't be bothered. I open the door, close the door every five minutes when I'm in and out. So he doesn't bother. The same applies to sheds, doesn't it? Most people's sheds, you can't get in. You open the door, you can't get in because it's full of stuff. I don't know, what is this stuff? In fact, even gardens, everyone that's got a garden, they've got a kind of dumping area where there's bits of hose pipe, a watering can that leaks, broken flower pots, you know, basically a pile of rubbish. But you have to have somewhere in the garden which is a, a dumping ground. And the same is true of spare rooms, isn't it? If you've got a spare room in your house, people say, oh yeah, in the spare bedroom. Well, it's not a spare bedroom at all. It's a spare junk room most of the time. In fact, we had a spare bedroom, which actually was a bedroom because there was a bed in it. And we ended up, there was no room in there. So, so we got rid of the bed. Still call it the spare bedroom, but it's full of stuff. So collecting things is all very well if you've got somewhere to keep your collection easy for my mother-in-law. Do you know what she collects? Well, of course you don't. I haven't told you. Thimbles. You know little thimbles you use with sewing, put on your thumb or finger or whatever you do with them? Little thimbles. And she's collected them from various countries. She's been to abroad on holiday from around the UK. And she's got dozens of these little thimbles. And of course, there's a, a little shelf thing on the wall, like a little thing with pigeon holes, you know, hundreds of little holes with all the small thimbles in. And it's quite a nice display. Of course, that takes up, I don't know, a square metre of wall space. And that's about it. Whereas someone else I know collects um, military vehicles. <laughs> he needs an old farm to keep all his vehicles. You know, there's loads of them. So, yeah, collecting things depends what it is. Stamp album, that's the word I was trying to think of earlier. A book to keep the stamps in. A stamp album. I had a, a stamp collecting kit if I remember rightly, there was the stamp album, a few rubbishy stamps, a pair of tweezers, a plastic magnifying glass that was so misty you couldn't see anything through it anyway, and some little things that you stick the stamps in with. They're all too fiddly. For, I can't do fiddly stuff like that. It just gets, <laughs> it just gets on my nerves.
but it's it's amazing, isn't it? The things some people collect. I remember as a kid, I had a load of dinky toys, uh, matchbox toys, their matchbox cars, all brand new in their boxes, you know, which was great. Of course, had I known then what I know now, I would have left them in their boxes. But then again, what is the point of doing that? As a kid, I wanted to play with the cars, with the car, you know, the toys. So to take them out of the boxes and play with them, the boxes, you know, they ended up being thrown away. The cars got scratched and dented because, well, they were toys to be played with. So then they're not worth much. So I don't know, collecting stuff. Yes, had I known then what I know now, there are certain items that I used to have loads of in the old days. So there's a certain type of army radio uh, equipment that was uh, pound ten shillings. They were, these units, pound ten shillings in the old days. Now they sell for something like £300 or more. So should I have bought a load of them in the old days, kept them for all these decades, and now sell them? I mean, is that profitable? You've got to work it out, haven't you? For a start, there's the storage. Where do you keep them all? They've got to be in the dry somewhere. Secondly, would it have been better to invest the money somewhere else, in something else? You just don't know, do you? I often look around now, you know, and I think, what should the kids collect these days? Mobile phones? So one day in, say, 50 years' time, people will say, oh, look, that's the old Nokia phone. Good grief, they're worth a fortune. But will they be? Because there's so many thousands around. I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Yes, if I knew then what I knew now, that's easy, isn't it, Mr Hindsight? A chap I know, we were talking about collecting things. This is years ago. And I was saying about collecting radio gear. And I said, what, do you collect anything at all? He said, yes, I collect money. Money? And he did. He still does. He collects money. Here we go. Aeroplane. The sun's out. So they're all coming out of the airport in their little Cessnas and things. There he goes, flying overhead. Excellent. You need a lot of money for that. I had to stop recording. Another three planes followed him out of the airport. That's Shoreham. Oh, I've moaned about that before, haven't I? Brighton City Airport, which is actually Shoreham Airport. First day where there's a bit of sunshine, that's it. I've got a, a, an app on the phone on my iPad of uh, aircraft. You know, what I forget, what's it called? Flight radar or something. And you can see all these millions of little planes all over the place. Which reminds me, well the planes don't, but something else has just reminded me. A friend of mine, now this is back in the 60s, he said, we were talking about marriage, I'll never forget this. He said, I want to marry someone that's got some money. And of course, you know, we're all saying, oh well, it'd be nice, you know, we, we all would like to do that. And he said, no, seriously, I'm not going to get married to anyone unless they've got money. He said, I'm not going to spend my life working. To, as he, it was rude, I've got to say this. He said, to keep some woman and kids at home. <laughs> I remember that's the way he put it. Because we all, you know, in the workshop we were, we said to him, well, that's not why you get married. You know, you can't say that. You can't say that you're not going to get married to keep some woman and kids at home. That, that's not nice. Anyway, he was true to his word. It was about 20 years later, I bumped into him. And he said, oh, you know, nice to see you, nice to meet you. We had a chat in the street and he said, look, come back and have a coffee. I live just up the road. So I did. And we went back to this house. Honestly, it was, I don't know, something like a 10 bedroom house, two or three reception rooms, a big dining room. The hallway was as big as our lounge, a huge place. And his wife was out. I don't know, the kids were at school or something. And I said, good grief, you've done well. 
He said, I told you, I married into money. And he had, he told me all about it. He found this girl. <laughs> well, he didn't find her. He met this girl and her parents were absolutely loaded. So he fell in love with her. That was the way he put it. Her parents were loaded, so I fell in love with her. I said, but you can't choose who you fall in love with. It doesn't work that way. He said, it does if they're loaded. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the last, I didn't really keep in touch with him, but the last I heard from him was, I don't know, about six months ago. And they're still together, him and his wife. You know, they, they're great. They've got a great marriage. The kids have all grown up and got various good jobs and things. So it worked for him. <laughs> I met a girl. We went out with each other. And I think it must have been... I don't know, a couple of about two, maybe three months we've been going out. I picked her up from the house. I went round there to pick her up, rang on the doorbell, and her dad answered. I'd met him previously when I'd been to pick her up, and he was a nice chap. They were very, very well-to-do people, absolutely loaded, beautiful house on a private estate, only, what, four or five miles from where I live, from where I live now. A lovely estate. And he said, oh, come in, Ray, come in. Yeah, nice to see you. She's upstairs getting ready. She won't be long. And he said, come into the study. I want to have a word with you. And <laughs> honestly, I walked into this study. I hadn't been in there before. He closed the door and he sat at his desk. And he said, oh, take a seat. Well, the seat was the other side of his desk. It was like a, a headmaster's study. And I, I was thinking, oh, what have I done? Oh, dear, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get the cane, six of the best. <laughs> Anyway, he was very friendly. He said, now, I've been meaning to talk to you for some time, so good opportunity. What are your intentions as far as my daughter is concerned? And I, I must admit, I was, I don't know, what was I, early 20s? It didn't click. I thought for a minute and I said, well, I think we're going out for a drink. I'm not sure what we're doing this evening. And he grinned and I immediately said, oh, sorry, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> so I made a right fool of myself to start with. And he said, oh, your intention's long term. Are you able to provide for my daughter? Provide? I'm thinking, what does he mean, provide for you? He said, you know, if you end up together, he said, I'd uh, welcome you very much as my son-in-law. So have you discussed marriage? And uh, again, I'm just sitting there and uh, I... Uh, uh, well, um, no, not exactly. No, I didn't know what to say. And he said, I'm just wondering because I will need to make sure that you can provide for my daughter. And he went on to say something, I can't remember his exact words, something about, um, I, I know financially you're not in the best of positions or something. Well, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't loaded. I, I was just some bloke that was going out with his daughter. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't short of money, but... Uh, provide for his daughter. He then asked me whether she had discussed her assets with me. Assets, I'm thinking. Of course, you, well, you know what I was thinking, assets, <laughs> being a young red-blooded man. And I said, uh, no, assets. I thought, yeah, what's he on about? I didn't know what he was talking about. Her assets. Why would she have any assets? She lived at home with her mum and dad. And she worked in an office. I won't say where, but it was an ordinary office job. Nothing special. You know, she wasn't an MP or anything special like that or headmistress of a private school. <laughs> she was just some bird. Well, I didn't tell him that. I think she must have been early 20s, a bit like me. I can't remember exactly. We did get on very well. I liked her very much. 
but we hadn't discussed marriage or the future at all, really. We hadn't discussed anything of the sort. She eventually came down and she was calling. She was calling me and her dad shouted out in here and she came in and she looked somewhat concerned uh, at the two of us sitting at the desk, <laughs> me sitting there at the headmaster's desk in his study. And her father stood up. He said, well, have a nice evening. So I stood up and uh, I left quickly with her, hurriedly, got out of the headmaster's office. And in the car, when we were driving away, she said, what did he talk to you about? And I said, oh, I don't know, really, just my intentions about the future. And I said, he, he did mention your assets. And of course, I laughed and she laughed. I, I said, uh, I didn't tell him that I've already seen your assets. <laughs> And anyway, we got on really well. And she said, no, he didn't actually mean those assets. She said, I've got a house. I've got my own house. Now, I was totally confused. I said, your own house, but you live at home. She said, oh, an aunt, some aunt or other, left me a house. And she said, I rent it out. It's just some income. I said, what, all mortgage-free? It's all yours? She said, yeah, just mortgage-free. My aunt left it to me. <laughs> she was an only child, but she was lovely. And I said, well, in all the months we've been going out together. I said, you've not mentioned that. She said, no, I don't normally tell people in case they sort of marry me for my money. And I said to her, well, I think that's what your dad's worried about. Thinks I might be marrying you for your money. And I said, I didn't even know you had money. I said, obviously your parents have. It was a huge, lovely house, beautiful gardens. I'd seen the garden before, the back garden. Absolutely wonderful. It was like a stately home. Well, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't big like a stately home. But the gardens were so well kept. They had a gardener, obviously, as one does, don't you know? What? What? <laughs> her dad was great. Her mum was great. She was great. I loved them all. And they seemed to like me. Oh, she also told me that she had a, an allowance from some aunt. Was it the aunt or something? I, something left in trust? I don't know. I don't know. She didn't need to work. And she did say, to be honest, if you married me, you wouldn't need to work. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't find out all her financial situation. Now, to be honest, I didn't want to know. And to be honest, again, it put me off. I don't know what it was. The whole thing about money and everything, it, it put me off. It put, it put me off her, but it, it put me off any thoughts of a future with her, especially marriage. Um, I, I wasn't out for money at all. Uh, I wasn't interested in money, never really have been. I'm still not interested in money. As my father-in-law has always said, if I've got a penny more than I need, then I'm happy. And if you think about that, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if you want to spend a few quid in the pub every Friday and you've got money to do that with your mates, if you've paid all your bills, you've got enough to eat and live and you've got a penny left over, then you're happy. And that's the way I've always looked at it. I've never really been interested in money. And as I said, it, it sort of spoilt it for me. Not that I didn't want to know her after that, but uh, I certainly didn't want a long-term future with her. Some people will no doubt be thinking, oh, what a fool, all that money, all that cash, never need to work. Your own house with no mortgage. But that's the point. It wouldn't have been my own house with no mortgage, would it, in my early 20s? It would have been her house with no mortgage. It would have been her money. The car I drove round in would have been paid for with her money. I, you know, I just didn't want that. Anyway, that's me, that's me. No doubt other people would do things slightly differently. I've got a note here, it says potholes. Do you know, there are potholes everywhere. It's awful, isn't it? When you think of the state of our roads here in the UK, 
Honestly, it's bad. Food shortage, it says here. There are going to be food shortage. Well, there are already. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> I can tell you what, it's affected me already. The food shortage. Well, not food. Well, it is in a way. Beer. We always keep a few cans of Foster's in the fridge. Foster's Lager. Personally, I don't like it. I like the real ales. But when people drop round, you know, son-in-laws, brother-in-laws, all this sort of thing, people pop round, friends, offer them a beer. And normally a can of Foster's, you know, ordinary lager, yeah, I'll have that. It goes down well straight out of the fridge, especially in this weather. We've run out and the shops haven't got any Foster's. So uh, I didn't go shopping. I don't because of Covid and stuff. I stay at home and <laughs> my wife goes shopping. It's not me being lazy. It's just that I, I'm not allowed in the shop. <laughs> well, I am actually, but they advise against it if you know, unless it's necessary. Anyway, she said to the chap in the uh, supermarket, there's no Fosters, when will it be in? Because it wasn't last week. And he said, I don't know. He said, we've all run out. He said, it's the lorry drivers. It, what it is, there's a load of staff shortages. You probably heard all this on the telly. Because, you know, this app we've got here in the UK, this, have you heard about it? It's an app, I've got mine on my phone. If you go near someone or and they've tested positive, is I don't know how it works, then your phone goes beep, beep, beep and tells you that you've got to isolate for two weeks or something. <laughs> so, of course, working in shops and meeting the public, all the people at work, all their phones are going beep, 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 you're, you're off work for two weeks or 10 days. So there's no staff, there's no lorry drivers. So there's no Fosters. So if anyone comes round, you would like a cold drink. Oh, yeah, what have you got? Uh, water or lemonade? <laughs> Oh dear, I think we've got some fizzy water. So at the beginning of the uh, COVID lockdown and all that, it was toilet rolls. Now it's Foster's. Which would you rather run out of, toilet rolls or Foster's? <laughs> no, don't even think about that. I've got some real ales in the fridge. We've got a separate fridge for drinks and uh, for the rabbit food. You know, their kale and stuff like that, whatever it is they eat. We've got all that in a separate fridge along with the drink so as not to block up our main fridge. But yeah, there's plenty of real ales in there. We've got plenty of wine, so we're okay. Should we have a impromptu party or something? I think now, I forget now, how many people are allowed round? I've no idea. And you know, I'm now beyond caring. If I'm sitting in the garden with a beer on my own, that's fine, that'll suit me. If I'm sitting in the garden with a beer, surrounded by 30-odd people, family, that'll suit me. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, she was a, a nice girl, that one with all the money. Um, I could have married her. I could have married into money. I could have been a kept man. Oh, imagine that, a kept man. So it's not only women that marry for money. Men do it as well. That reminds me of the gold diggers episode. Was that last week's episode, gold diggers? All about money grabbers? Yeah, it's not always the young ladies, is it? It's the young men as well, keeping an eye open for a cushy life. <laughs> marry into money. I don't know. Things people do. A friend of mine used to collect butterflies and moths. That's in the days when we had butterflies and moths. And we've got a few now, but back then, you know, when I was a kid in the 50s and 60s, there were so many insects. He used to pin them in these boxes. Well, you've seen them, haven't you? Display boxes. He put a pin through their body, then into the, the wood in the box. It was awful. I don't know how he killed them. I remember his dad saying, put them in a, a jar upside down jar and then put them over the gas ring not when it was a light of course to gas them 
to death. I don't know whether that worked. I don't know what. I didn't really want to know. I didn't like it. But the moral of the story is he used to collect these things. And at some stage, I don't know, we were what, in our 30s, bumped into him. And I said, you know, you're still collecting butterflies. He said, no, I sold that lot. Do you know, he sold them for a small fortune. He didn't tell me how much, but he said it was more than enough for a deposit for a house, which was rather good. Because in those days, if you wanted a mortgage, you had to have a sort of sizable deposit. Of course, we then went through the stage of no deposit at all. In fact, they would give you the mortgage plus cash. <laughs> so it was like a hundred and five or 110 percent mortgage and then it's gone back now to you do need a deposit I don't know what the deposit is now five percent is it I've no idea but anyway he sold the butterfly collection I, it was awful I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't like to do that I wouldn't have thought that butterflies and moths were that valuable I don't know obviously the ones he had were, were worth a few quid collecting things I know a chap he collects batteries you know flat batteries and he's got a whole room full of batteries, uh, or, you know, mainly sort of transistor radio batteries, torch batteries. I don't know why. Um, it's, it's an impressive collection. I've had a look at it. It looks good. But they're never going to be of any value, are they? And eventually they will leak and the acid or whatever will ooze out. And I don't know. It's a funny thing to collect, isn't it? Batteries. But some people do collect weird things. I've just been trying to think of people I've known over the decades and what they've collected. I knew a girl in my teens. No, 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 no. She was just a girlfriend. There we go again. No, she, she made, out of broken bits of stained glass, she made leaded light windows. You know, leaded light, this, the coloured glass she used to get, broken bits and pieces, uh, obviously fairly large bits, not little bits. It would be awkward to do. And she got the, the lead stuff and uh, a little blowtorch and did this kind of lead soldering in wooden frames. And she made these stained glass leaded light windows. Fantastic. She was, what, 18, 19? I don't know where she got the, the art or the skill from, but I, I knew her for a number of years. And she used to sell these things and make them to order. I don't know whether she's still going. I'll have to have a look online. Um, I, you know, I forget her surname now. I know her Christian name, but she always said she wanted to set up in business making these windows to order. I mean, look at some of the church windows. Imagine the cost of those. You know, if someone said, right, there's our church. We want it all replaced, that huge stained glass window. Good grief. That would cost a, a few pounds, wouldn't it? But she was amazing at that, self-taught, as far as I know, getting the, the bits of glass and the lead. You can buy, I think, can't you, the lead joining pieces, the strips, that you slot the glass into, then you kind of melt the lead at the joints, don't you? I've seen it done, actually. I can't remember where it was, but I have seen that done. And that's quite interesting. So, yes, she didn't... Well, she did collect them because she had loads um, in her dad's garage. She took me in there. And there were dozens and dozens of windows that she'd made, all different sizes. So I'll have to see if I can find her online. Perhaps she's in business now in a big way. You never know. When we were children... We all used to collect cigarette cards. You remember those fag cards, they were called? Probably can't say that these days. Cigarette cards. And you could buy books, like albums, to, to put them in. There were also cigarette cards in packets of tea. Well, they were. I suppose they were tea cards. <laughs> can't call them. Well, they were cigarette cards, basically, that came free with tea. Uh, was it Brook Bond? Uh, PG Tips used to get the cigarette cards out of those. Now, they were good. 
they were nice, some of the cards. And we used to play games at school with them, flicking them, you know, lying some up against the wall. And then you'd flick the cards. Whoever knocked them all down kept the lot or something like that, a bit like marbles, which was another thing that kids used to collect, marbles. I remember having some really nice ones, the bigger ones, which we called tours. Do you remember the tours? A friend of mine, he had a ball bearing, a huge ball bearing, and he used to use that. And uh, he never lost it. He used to win almost every game. He never lost the thing itself, but he used to break people's marbles with it, the glass marbles. I remember we had a local swap shop. You could take stuff in there like a bag of marbles and you'd want a a toy car and he'd say, oh, I don't know, I'll take the marbles and give me two bob as well and you can have the car. And it was a kind of swap shop. Well, it was called the swap shop, I think. That was in North Street. It's all gone. Here we go. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? That's all gone now, North Street, all the buildings, the shops. There was a, a stonemason there that did uh, gravestones and amongst other things. That's gone. I forget what they were called. Uh, an electrical shop. Loads of stuff there. All gone. Sorry about that noise uh, just then. It's one of my radios bursting into life. The thing is, once these things have gone, they'll never come back. I just had a look on Twitter and someone saying about all oh, the supermarket shelves are empty because you know the drivers. I think I mentioned that earlier, didn't I? The drivers are all self-isolating or whatever they're doing and someone said bring back the local shops get rid of the supermarkets bring back the little shops the greengrocer the butcher the ironmonger the off-license you bring that lot back i must say I, i do tend to agree it's such a convenience isn't it going to a huge supermarket you've got everything there that you want from chemist type pharmacy type stuff tablets pills for this pills for that deodorant if you smell a bit <laughs> in this heat oh no don't get me on to that goodness me I was walking along. I had to go to the dentist again downtown I was just walking along and I passed this chap good grief the stench honestly the stench armpits let's not go into that in case you're eating something oh sorry I make you feel sick now going back to local shops I remember a greengrocer, he used to have a sign, homegrown produce. And what it was, people locally, uh, some people, I remember a neighbour of mine, he grew a lot of tomatoes. He had a big greenhouse, grew loads of tomatoes, more than enough for him. And he'd take them over to the greengrocer and sell them. Then the greengrocer would put his profit on and sell them to the public. And they were lovely tomatoes. They'd only travelled from across the road. You know, they hadn't come from Spain or Italy or wherever, Cyprus, or I don't know where they grow tomatoes. Cucumbers as well. Uh, I remember all sorts of stuff, lettuces. A lot of it was homegrown locally. He was helping the local community. You know, he was giving these people money. He was selling ultra fresh produce uh, that had only been picked that morning, possibly, or just the day before. It was fantastic. We've got uh, several tomato plants under the patio roof in that heat, in that sunshine. Have to keep them well watered, of course. They're still green at the moment, but they're really coming on well. They're looking amazing. There's nothing like eating a tomato, a fresh tomato, pulled straight from the vine. Is it a vine? Do they call them vines? I don't know, straight from the plant. As a kid, I used to go into my dad's greenhouse and <laughs> eat the tomato <laughs> plants. No, not the plants. Eat the tomatoes straight off the plants. That was lovely. I used to grow gooseberries. Uh, raspberries, black currants, red currants, was it? Um, peas. I used to sit there amongst the rows of peas, shelling them, you know, the pods. Trouble is, I wasn't very good at uh, hiding, you know, covering my tracks. I used to throw the, 
what are they called? The, the shuttle, not the shuttles, the shells, whatever they're called. I used to leave them on the ground. So that's all the evidence. I'd eaten a load of peas. Uh, you shell the peas, don't you? What are they called? The, are they pods? Well, whatever. Bit different eating the, the gooseberries because there was no evidence left. The gooseberries had little hairs growing on them. Do you remember that? But they were great days, all growing your own stuff. What was it uh, in the war? Dig for victory. Everyone grew their own stuff. I think, well, I don't think I can see the day coming back, you know, where people do start to do that, especially if there are going to be these shortages in shops. I mean, obviously, the shortages won't last forever. But thinking about it, I do know more and more people that are growing stuff at home, especially tomatoes, uh, uh, my wife's uncle, cucumbers. Uh, what else has he got? Courgettes, radish, lettuce, all this. Stuff. He's got a fair amount of uh, land in his garden, but he's growing all this stuff. And more and more people, I think, are growing things at home. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, just about everyone grew runner beans. Everyone had a runner bean trench and the sticks. You remember the sticks? They were brilliant. We did up until a few years ago. But our garden, it's not really suitable for it. We've got the rabbits, they take up half the garden. We've got the tortoise, he takes up quarter, the other quarter of the garden, only leaves a little bit left for us, so we can't do that. But runner beans grown at home, they're just fantastic. Pick them before they get too big, otherwise they're stringy. We did have a greenhouse as well, but in the end there wasn't a room for that. But uh, as I say, we've got the tomatoes out there that are doing really well. And another thing you can do is pick the tomatoes while they're green and make green chutney. That is fantastic. We make our own bread, which is really nice. Not properly in the oven. You know, we've got a, a bread making machine. Well, that is properly, isn't it? And that is lovely because you can get the ingredients and the rest of it just to the way you like. And that's all we have now is our homemade bread. It's brown. You can make white. You can make rolls or whatever in these bread machines. They're, they're brilliant. Another thing people used to not grow at home but make was beer. I remember loads of my mates in my teens and 20s brewing their own beer. <laughs> uh, that's, that's gone. Has that gone now or do people still do it? I remember people making wine. A friend of mine, this is years ago, he was Italian. He lived in my town, but he used to import the grapes from a friend of his in Italy. And he used to have all these tons of grapes turn up to his house and he'd make his own wine, like dozens and dozens of bottles of it. Oh, I saw them once, the delivery, goodness me, hundreds of thousands of grapes all turning up. I saw, talking of alcohol, I saw something on Twitter the other day. Some brewery or whoever it is are now making, or distillery, whatever they are, they're now making alcoholic water. Now that is weird. Is that weird? You've got wine, you've got beer water. I mean, I know you can make anything alcoholic, can't you? You can probably make tea alcoholic. <laughs> but why do that with water? Water is to quench your thirst, isn't it? In the summer, oh, I must have a pint of water. Am I allowed to say pint or is it litre these days? That's a load of rubbish. Of course, in America, you've got the imperial stuff, haven't you? Pints, gallons, miles, feet, inches, yards. You've got all that stuff still, haven't you? Whereas we, well, here we've got both. And it makes me laugh when I hear someone say, that's one and a half metres. Well, it's either 1.5 metres or one and a half yards. You can't mix the two. Well, people do, though, don't they? I have half a litre of water. Well, that's, that's 0.5 of a litre, not really half, is it? Because you're mixing them. Anyway, that's, that's something else altogether. But alcoholic water. 
I just don't think that's going to catch on. Most of the comments on Twitter were, if I'm going to have alcohol, I'll have wine or beer. If I'm going to have water, I just want water because I'm hot and uh, I'm thirsty. I don't know. It's a funny old world, isn't it? It's just some gimmick someone's come up with. It's just some silly gimmick. Actually, you wouldn't say I want 0.5 of a litre, would you? You'd say I want 500 millilitres. Is that right? 500. Because we used to have fluid ounces. What on earth is that? Fluid ounces. I think litres and millilitres are easier to understand. Fluid ounces. I can't work that out. What I do, I cheat. If I'm not sure. If I think, how long is that? It's saying 390 millimetres. I think, what's that roughly? I'm trying to picture it. So I just say... Alexa, what's 309 millimetres in inches? 309 millimetres is about 12.17 inches. Oh, there you go. She heard me. I had to increase the volume on that bit because she's over the other side of the room. But uh, it is useful. I ask it all sorts of things. The capital of various countries and how long is this and how far is that? (laughs) Imagine in the old days. Imagine if someone had said to me in the 50s, you'll be able to ask some electronic box to convert you know millimeters to inches or or whatever miles to kilometers you'd say well that's impossible it would how would you keep all that information in a, a small electronic box how would it know all that and how would it speak to you you'd have to have a built-in tape recorder and it just wouldn't work that was in the days when tv screens or the tvs were huge rabbit hutch boxes weren't they And people were thinking, well, how can you flatten a cathode ray tube, the CRT? You can't make it flat to hang it on the wall. You've got to stop thinking about that technology, haven't you? And think, is it outside the box, people say? You've got to think of something else completely different. No good saying, right, we've got a big glass CRT, the, the tube. We've got to flatten it. No, get rid of the tube and think of something else altogether. So it's like electronic box, if someone had mentioned that in the 50s. Don't start thinking, well, there would need to be a tape recorder in there to speak. Forget tape recorders, forget all known technology and try and think of something completely different in the future. They're all interesting stuff. Another thing people used to collect was uh, beer mats. Do you remember, you know, little beer mats? Well, I say remember, they still have them. Well, when the pubs are open, they do anyway. Yeah, beer mats. There were... Dozens, if not hundreds of different types, different breweries, different things written on the beer mats. There were so many of them, you could get a good collection. I remember a friend of mine, he had a load in his bedroom. He stuck them all round the, <laughs> round the walls. Uh, this is in our teenage years, of course. I don't know how many he had, but I think the majority of them were all different. He might have had one or two repeats, but in the main, they were completely different. And I spent ages, I remember, looking at them all, seeing what he got, what he hadn't got. And, of course, people gave him beer mats. They'd nick them from the pubs and they'd give him the beer mats. So that was a great thing to collect. And matchboxes, what people would do, the matchbox, take the, the little drawer out, throw that away, flatten the matchbox, so you just keep the front, cut that out and stick them in books, like scrapbooks. So you've got Swan, Brighton, Bryanton May, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I can't remember all the rest of them, but there were dozens of them. Because in those days, a lot of people used matches to light cigarettes, to light their pipes. They used matches. So matches were a great thing to collect. Well, the boxes anyway. The matches were used very often by kids to make models. A chap at school, he made a boat. We had a competition. He made a boat, a ship, a huge ship out of matches. 
you cut all the heads off, so you're just left with the, the wooden sticks, and you glue them all together. I mean, I, I didn't have the patience for all that nonsense. <laughs> glue them all together, and he made a big ship. And it was really good, actually. I, you know, I had to take my hat off to him. It was brilliant. I wouldn't have had the, the patience to do that. But he did an excellent job, and he painted it all. Uh, yeah, really good. And he won the, the model-making contest. I lost. <laughs> now, there's a surprise. I made a, I think we all had to make a, a ship. I made a ship. It was a plank of wood. I sort of sawed the end off so it was a point. <laughs> and uh, I stuck a funnel in the middle. That, that was it. That was my ship. I couldn't be bothered to paint it or anything. I didn't want to get involved in model-making at school. You know, it wasn't me. I was at home playing with radios, pulling radios apart, the old valve radios. That was my hobby. I didn't want to stick matchsticks together and make a ship. What's the point in that? Brilliant, though it looked. It was great, but it wasn't for me. I didn't fit in very well at school, as I've probably <laughs> told you before. I, couldn't, I just couldn't get on with it all. I had more important things to do, uh, especially as I got to 11, 12, 13 years old. I was learning about radios. I was learning about electronics. I was tuning around on shortwave radios, listening to various uh, military communications, shipping, that sort of thing. To sit at school, listening to someone droning on about something. What I said a week or two ago, didn't I? What happened in 1066? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> and does it matter? How would that help me? Because I wanted to be a radio and TV engineer. I'm sure when I went for a job, the chap, the service manager, wasn't going to say, right, how's your history? What's happened? <laughs> what happened in 1066? Well, I don't know. How does a TV work? Ah, oh, right, now we're getting down to it. And I did end up as a radio and TV engineer. The money was absolutely abysmal. <laughs> but I loved the job. I loved the work. It was great fun. Good bunch of lads. Another thing we used to collect as kids were bottle tops. You get all the different bottle tops, mainly beer bottle tops, uh, and and soft drinks as well, but there were loads of bottle tops because they were all the, uh, you know, opener type. You know, you use a bottle opener. What are they called? Those sort of clamp-on tops. Yeah, so we used to collect bottle tops. That was good. I mean, you couldn't stick those in a book, but uh, we used to stick them on, you know, get some glue and stick them on bits of plywood or hardboard or whatever and hang them on the walls. <laughs> Hardly valuable. Mind you, if you came across a, a box of several hundred bottle tops now, it might be worth something. be very interesting, certainly interesting, to look at all the, the bottle tops, what they were, all the writing on them and the beer bottle tops. Yeah, it'd be interesting. One chap collected beer bottles. A lot of bottled beers were around then, and he had quite a good collection of beer bottles. If I remember, yeah, he had a... That was his dad's garage. He had a huge... A bookcase type thing full of bottles and loads more that wouldn't fit on there and they looked really good. Our security alarm just went off, our burglar alarm. Um, I'm upstairs, of course it's a red hot summer day and we've got the back door open, the patio doors open, uh, yeah, the shed's also alarmed, the shed doors open so it could have been a bird or a cat or something or perhaps the rabbits are jumping around out there but that's just reminding me when I was early teens, I made a burglar alarm for the house. Now, in those days, there weren't all the wireless uh, sensors, things like that. It was all hardwired. And I had relays and uh, reed switches, magnetic switches all around the place. <laughs> that was all very well. It went off. It worked. 
you know, you opened the front door or the back door, the alarm bells rang and it was really loud. <laughs> I don't know what the neighbours thought. I don't know what my parents thought. But the thing is that the damn thing used to go off on its own. Everyone would go out, we'd all be out, we'd get back and there's bells ringing, the neighbours would be saying, that's been ringing for the last hour, can't you shut it up? So, uh, yeah, these days alarms are very different. I don't know what set that off just now. The thing is, especially in the summer, the advice is from police and whoever, you know, if, you, if you're upstairs, you're indoors, you've got windows open, you've got the back door open perhaps because you're in and out of the garden, you might have popped upstairs. It's very easy for someone to slip into the back garden, pop into your house, grab something and they're off again. Or if there's a front uh, window open, you're in the garden, you've left the, say, the lounge window open. Very easy for someone just to slip in through the window and take whatever. That's why when I'm alone in the house, uh, I mean, obviously I can't walk around downstairs because the thing will go off. There's sensors everywhere. But when I'm alone in the house, if I'm upstairs here, for example, in the studio, in the recording studio, don't you know? <laughs> then I do have the alarm on. Because if anyone moves downstairs or in the garden or the shed anywhere, the thing takes off and lets half the street know. So it's a good idea. I've joined some local police thing where they email you what's going on in your area and um, you get the street names, you know, two burglaries in this street, a garage broken into in that street. All this kind of stuff you get regularly with emails and it's surprising just how many sheds are broken into, how many houses. Uh, it'll say uh, entry through an open window or entry through an insecure door. So it's surprising how many people just don't seem to lock up. This girl I knew once and her husband, they never locked up. They got a nice house, lovely house with nice stuff in the house. They never used to lock up. They'd go out. In fact, they went on holiday once. I remember that. They went away for two weeks to Spain or somewhere and they left the back door unlocked. Because uh, I was checking, you know, I used to pop round and check everything. And I noticed the side gate wasn't bolted. So I walked round the back and the back door was not locked. I walked into the house. <laughs> so what I did, I locked the back door. I found a key, locked the back door, then locked the side gate, which was a bolt. Then I had to climb out through the bushes and over the fence to get out because um, the, the front door was secure. That was a deadlock thing, but people really should take more care. I had a next door neighbor years ago, decades ago. He used to collect junk and he said, I, I collect junk. He admitted it, just absolute junk. And he used to say, one man's, what was it? One man's muck is another man's brass, meaning, well, meaning brass, meaning money. And he used to just collect junk from all over the place. In fact, I remember there was a rag, do you remember the rag and bone man going up the street? Rag and bone, he used to shout, didn't he? Rag and bone. And he collected junk. But anyway, this neighbour of mine, um, some of them used to call him the rag and bone man. He found somewhere, I don't know where he got it from. It was just junk that he found somewhere. And it was a, a painting. I, I think he might have got it from a junk shop. I can't remember. Anyway, he bought this painting for whatever, I don't know, a few pounds. And he sold it. He took it to somewhere and they, they valued it. Now, I'm going back to the 70s. They valued it at something. It was just over a thousand pounds, I think. Twelve hundred pounds comes to mind. So I think he paid something, I don't know, a couple of quid. And it was worth over a thousand pounds. So, I mean, from that day on... We know, whenever we saw him, no one called him the rag and bone man anymore. 
I mean, that was pure luck. He didn't know what he was looking for. You know, he wasn't uh, an art dealer or anything. He just got hold of this painting, took it along somewhere to have it valued, and he was lucky. You hear that sort of thing, don't you? Car boot sales. Someone will buy something for 50p and they find out it's worth £10,000. You see that sort of thing on the TV, don't you? Someone selling something on one of these antique-type shows, and they'll say, oh, that's not bad, you've got £6,000 for that. What did you pay for it? 20 pence at a car boot sale. Good grief. I remember on more than one occasion, man knock on the door, and he'd say, oh, sorry to trouble you. I'm a, a jeweller. Have you got any gold or jewellery you want to sell? Give you a good price for it? Yeah, I bet he would. <laughs> I mean, there were scams. There were scams around then. Uh, obviously not on the internet. The internet didn't exist, but people knocking on the door. Not phone calls either. People didn't use the phone for scams. But I remember a chap knocking on the door. He was a, he had a grindstone, a knife sharpener thing on a cart. And he said, uh, do you want any knives sharpened? And I said, no, I haven't got any cash on me at the moment, so no. And he said, well, look, you must have some cash. Let me sharpen your knives. And I said, no, honestly. He said, well, what about scissors? Have you got scissors that want sharpening? I said, yeah, I haven't got cash, which was true. I didn't have cash with me. Uh, I popped home from work briefly. I forget why. And he was in. He was uh, getting a little bit insistent. He was getting a little bit intimidating. He said, well, can you go and get some cash? And you borrow cash from a neighbour. And in the end, I just shut the door. And he stood outside for quite some time just looking at the house. Uh, I didn't like that at all. But that was genuine. I didn't have any cash with me. If you are worried about callers, uh, you know, this does happen a lot. People bang on the door. Or oh, we can have a look at your roof for you. There are so many scams. And, you know, if you're elderly and you're not too sure and someone's saying, oh, we can redo your drive, your brickwork needs looking at, you know, we can do a survey for £50. Just say the house is rented. I mean, you know, even if you own it or you've got a mortgage or whatever, just say, sorry, the house is rented and the landlord won't spend any money on it. It needs a load of work doing. And they'll walk away. They do that. That's what I do. Oh, do you want your double glazing done? We can do your roof. I say, well, I'd love the roof done. It leaks, but the house is rented. I don't know where the landlord is. Somewhere in Spain, I think, at the last time I heard. And they just walk off. Oh, OK, walk off. Because there's there's no way they're going to get the job, is there? They know that. And that's the best way. That saves any intimidation, you know. So if you are a bit elderly and you're on your own, uh, well, first thing to do is get yourself a burglar alarm. And the second thing to do is make out it's rented. <laughs> it does work, honestly. I had a collection of old Bakelite plugs and sockets. Do you remember in the UK, the old round pin plugs? You get the big three pin. They were 15 amp, weren't they? And uh, Bakelite light fittings and adapters. All that. I had a whole box of these that I'd not so much collected because I wanted to, but I just got them from old radios I was repairing for people, cut the old plugs off. And I had this huge box. I don't know how many were in there. And a chap gave me £100 for the lot, which was quite amazing. I don't know what he was going to do with them. I think anything, that was a while ago, so anything Bakelite was very collectible and valuable. And of course, all these old plugs and sockets were Bakelite. And even going back further, some of them were wood. Do you remember that? I don't. I think that must have been the 20s and 30s. A wooden plug. You know, brass pins on it, but a wooden actual body of the plug was wood. 
it was a friend of a friend. I said uh, to someone, I've got these plugs. And he said, oh, I know someone who buy those. This chap came round. I said, well, make me an offer. You take a hundred. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'd have probably taken 10 quid. But he offered me a hundred. Well, OK, fine. He knew what he was doing. Probably find they're worth twice that much. So I don't know. Good luck to him. So collecting things, stamps, coins. I knew a chap who collected coins. He had a massive collection. Apparently a 1933 penny. Uh, how true is it? Only six made or something. They're worth thousands. I don't know. I remember as a kid, again, looking at the old pennies. Every time I had any change. 1933 penny. No, never did have one. Probably it's not worth anything at all. Someone probably made it up. Put some rumour around that if it's 1933, it's worth a fortune. So everyone checks their change all the time. They were the big old pennies, of course, not the... Uh, well, we don't have pennies anymore, do we? Well, we do, but not a coin. So what else did people collect? Yeah, beer mats, beer bottles, bottle tops, matchsticks. Oh, cigarette packets. I collected those for a number of years when I was a child and into my teens. Cut the front off, glue it into a, a scrapbook. There were dozens of makes and types of cigarettes back then. I don't know how many, but the dozens and dozens. Unlike these days, there's only a few, but um, there we are collecting things. I suppose we've all collected stuff over the years. And of course, now what we're doing, my wife and I, what we're doing now is clearing out the loft. We've been doing that for the last year, clearing out the loft of stuff we've collected over the decades. Stone the crows, there's some stuff up there. Stuff I didn't even know we had. Anyway, we're slowly clearing it. We do, as I said, uh, that pile's for eBay, that pile's for the tip, the rubbish tip, that pile there we're going to keep. Same with the shed. We've been clearing the shed out. Because uh, the older you get, you, you just don't want stuff in the loft. The day is going to arrive when we can't get up into the loft. We'll have to get the kids to do it. Well, you know, the grown-up kids because we'll be too old and dithery and frail uh, uh, with, with our zimmers. <laughs> oh dear. I can laugh, I tell you what. I, I know I mustn't. I mustn't laugh. It's going to happen one day, isn't it? Do you want to email me? No, I don't, you're saying. Oh, OK, don't then. <laughs> Raise rants. You know it by now. I'm losing my voice here. I've been talking too much. The humidity in here is 10%. It's another extremely hot day, and it's 10%. And I've just had another glass of water, but uh, I think I'm drying up. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Email me with your rude comments or nice comments or otherwise. Try to answer all emails. Enjoy the weather. As I said, this weekend, you'll be listening to this Sunday. Well, that's when I'm publishing it anyway. And uh, it's meant to be rain and wind and doom and gloom we're doomed lightning and thunder and ice and snow well no perhaps not that bad <laughs> i'll leave you on that note no 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 it'll be fine well, i think we're having a bit of rain a bit of lightning and thunder and then the summer will come back take care look after yourselves and i shall see you next wednesday for the midweek message bye-bye for now